Come on in. Come on. Welcome back to Historical Context. Today, we conclude our 14-episode unit on 16th century explorers in the lower 48 states. Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we conclude our 14-episode unit on 16th century explorers in the lower 48 states. And today we're looking at a new area, a new individual for our final episode. So when you think of the Western United States and the West Coast, you think of people like Lewis and Clark. Well, there were folks before Lewis and Clark. And a lot of people, when they think of the British version of American history, think of Sir Francis Drake, who goes back to the 16th century. But even before Sir Francis Drake, there was another explorer of the West Coast of the United States. And his name was Juan Cabrillo. And Cabrillo was born in 1499. It's disputed whether he was Portuguese or Spanish, but he became a part of the Spanish Empire as a young man. And he originally came to Havana as a young adult and joined the Cortez expedition, which we did not talk about in this unit because Cortez was mainly in Mexico and not in the United States. He was also involved in a campaign that reached northern Mexico. And so Cabrillo had a lot of experience in New Spain. And after the Gulf of California was found, speculation began to develop that there may be a connection if you sail north to the west coast and a channel going to the Hudson Bay. So again, they're looking for that passage around the north part of North America. So Cabrillo was commissioned to lead an expedition and explore the west coast. So Cabrillo is in the west coast city of El Salvador in Mexico. And in 1540, he leaves there and sails up the west coast, landing in Navidad, Mexico, which is in the west central part of the modern day country. 
the official voyage log of Cabrillo's did not survive, but an interpretation of the log did. And that's what we're going to be basing today's story off of. And today, because of the way the writer wrote, there really isn't any direct quotes. So I'll just be telling the story of the Cabrillo expedition of the West Coast. The expedition left Navidad, Mexico on June 27, 1542, and on July 2nd, they note that California was spotted, and that land was likely the southern tip of the Baja of California. It took several days to land a boat due to challenging weather. Finally, the expedition was able to come upon land, and they stayed there for a couple of days, and they did not see a single native. They continue up the west coast of the Baja Peninsula versus uh, the voyage that we briefly talked about in our last episode, which went up the east coast, which would be the Gulf of California. Cabrillo was actually on the Pacific Ocean, and they noticed they're heading up that west coast that the land was low and had plenty of sand dunes. On the 19th of July, they go ashore again, and they find a trail that indicates natives were present in the area. They follow the trail and find a spring of water. They note that the ground is level, bare, and very dry. So, so far the Cabrillo expedition is rather uneventful. They get to an area called Punta Abrios, which is about 40% up the Baja California coastline before they actually end up seeing any number of trees. So this is the first time they see trees on the coast.
So finally, they're seeing some landscape other than sand dunes on the Baja California. They continue up the coast and find areas of higher elevation. And at this point, July becomes August. And they've yet to see a single native on the Baja of California. They go north beyond a peninsula and they end up visiting an island which uh, is along, I guess, a curve. Again, very uneventful. They resume their expedition and they follow the curve of the mainland north. And on August 10th, they dock, come ashore, and see four natives who end up fleeing, and they weren't able to communicate with any of them. They continue the journey north, and at one point they come on land again and find native fishermen. So these are natives who are fishing, who flee. They catch one of them, give him gifts, and release him. Again, in an attempt likely to build some type of friendship. Later, they come upon more fishermen, native fishermen, who do not flee. And they give a couple of them clothing and presents before moving on. In this encounter, the natives attempt to use signs to communicate, but the uh, expedition could not understand what they were saying. As the end of the month comes, as the end of the month comes, they come upon more natives who they're finally able to communicate with. And what do these natives tell them? They say that more Spaniards are in the area. And in fact, they say that if you come into the interior, and walk for five days, you will come upon those Spaniards. And it's likely at this point that it was some type of expedition, possibly the one we talked about last week, sailing up and down the interior of the Gulf of California. But again, words getting out that the Spaniards are in the area. The expedition continues north and encounters 40 natives on another excursion inland, but once again, they were unable to communicate with them. So it's interesting in this, so in this journey with Cabrillo and his expedition, clearly what the natives had to say appears to not mean very much because they didn't make an effort to translate or use signs with them as much as prior expeditions had done. So Cabrillo and his guys continue north, and on September 28th, they come to the place that Cabrillo is most famed for founding. They name it San Miguel, which later becomes known as San Diego. 
and it becomes the first time that a European has entered an area now known as California. And they called the whole coastline there California, but now we're talking about the state of California. Despite this, despite being the first documented Europeans in the California area, the first natives they meet in San Diego tell them that other Spaniards had passed through the interior of the land. And this could have been Coronado's expedition, but it would have been quite a journey away. A second group of natives that they came upon the next day reported that there were men in the interior that were bearded, clothed, and had similar armaments. So clearly, I mean, it'd be something to, to make that up, but now they're going into more detail. The second group made additional signs indicating that the Spaniards were riding on horseback and killing many natives which had this group communicating with Cabrillo very afraid. So here you have to wonder if maybe it was Coronado's men that they were referring to. It was a little bit later, it was about a year later, so there was time for word of mouth to spread. But man, again, when you're thinking about colonization, which is later down the line, and what those new colonies had to put up with in terms of their reputation as Europeans, you're thinking, you know, 60, 70 years of that word having to get out, not good for the relations between these two groups. The Cabrillo expedition continues north. So they're continuing north up the California West Coast. And here they're not seeing many natives, but they're seeing a ton of smoke signals, which really goes to show a native presence in the area. A few days later, they come to a village that's located on the shore, and the natives flee. Cabrillo's men attempt to make reassuring gestures to the native men who turn around and launch a canoe of eight to ten men to come and meet the ships. So the reassuring gestures appear to work. Once they get on shore, they meet with an elderly native man who told them stories of similar-looking bearded men in the inland. So again, more stories of other Europeans on the inland of California. The next day they came upon a canoe of more natives who indicated that there were more Spanish-looking people to the north. So it's interesting, Cabrillo is the first to come into this part of the world that we're documenting, yet the natives he's running into are saying, oh yeah, there's people like you I wouldn't say all over the place, but pretty, pretty close. So the expedition continues, and the next day they find a large town of Pueblos. So these are fixed houses, and they come ashore, and the natives again 
tell the same story of Spanish in the interior, and they actually say that they're a seven-day walk away. They also indicated that there was a great river. This would lead somebody to believe that they're referring to the Grand Canyon and the Colorado River, which were a part of the Coronado Expedition. This time, Cabrillo does something a little different with this group of natives. He leaves a letter behind with them and asks that it be given to the interior Europeans if their paths somehow were to collide. And there's no evidence that that ever happened. A week later, and they're continuing north, they run into another group of natives who tells them the exact same story. So it's interesting where we left off Coronado's expedition. You know, 40 years after Coronado had done what he had done in the southwestern United States, the Spanish who returned found things little changed and, and essentially unfazed. But in this period of time, everybody is talking about the Spaniards being around. Another common theme that we find in the writings about these natives is that their diets consisted mainly of maize and fish. So maize being corn that was unknown to the Europeans until they came to North America appears to have been present from the west coast all the way to the east coast. We've seen it consistently in this unit. Cabrillo continues further north until they reach an island heavily populated with natives. These natives speak many different languages and are constantly at war with one another. And that leads you to believe why a native group like that would end up on an island. Why they wouldn't head east and go back onto the mainland. It's a, a fascinating question, a question that we'll probably never have the answer to. And by this time, we're in late October, and the windy weather is beginning to hamper Cabrillo's ability to go further north. But Cabrillo continues north, presumably at a slower pace. And on November 1st, they stop at a native village and they ask for wood. And this tribe of natives helps them gather some wood. They continue north and the native villages start to become a little more scarce. At one point, a storm comes along and separates the multiple ships in the expedition, only to have them reunite a couple of days later. The weather prohibits any further journey north, so they turn around and head south. And it's unclear how far north Cabrillo got. But when they head south, they end up on modern-day Catalina Island, 
which is near Los Angeles. And the natives that are on this island are totally dependent upon fish. So they are straight fishermen, and that is their sustenance on that island. The expedition decides to winter on this island, and six weeks into wintering, on January 3rd, 1543, Cabrillo, who injures his leg in an accident, ends up dying from an infection. So Cabrillo becomes the last in a string of tragic outcomes for leading his expedition. The remaining men leave the island and they sail around for a couple of months, not finding anything of interest, and return back to Navidad on April 14, 1543. While Cabrillo may have been the first documented European to travel up the western California seaboard, he certainly was not the first European known by the natives there. And that's significant again, and I made this point earlier, but I'll make it again, because this all affects the relationship the European colonists will have with the natives when they come to permanently settle in North America or in the American in the American lower 48 states. Word of the Spanish expedition spread quickly amongst the villages, and it leads me to believe there's not much... With word of the expedition spreading quickly amongst the native villages, it leads me to believe that there was not much mystery left about Europeans by the time the colonies of Jamestown and Plymouth were founded. And that may be where you think we're heading now in our next unit. We've completed 16th century exploration, and there are other explorers out there, like Sir Francis Drake, that I don't feel like we should cover because their information is repetitive. But you may think we're heading to Jamestown, Plymouth, and we're ready to talk about the European colonies. If you listen to the British version of American history, which we're taught in school, that would be the logical next conclusion. But there's so much more going on. And I'll just start with a clue. So much so that the next unit is entitled Colonization Before Jamestown. We're going to have an entire unit on colonization that occurs before Jamestown in the lower 48 states. And that's where we will start next week on Historical Context.